Investigations. Alan, Alan Rusbridger, called me and asked me to get involved four weeks ago. You know, I went round to his gaff of a, of a Sunday morning, we had a bit of a chat about it. What he uh, was particularly keen on, and I think this is absolutely right, is that in any campaign, you need to be deploying all weapons that you can, and what's always important to add into anything like that is revelation. This is the biggest story in the world. And today, we catch a glimpse of the rarespotted investigations team. Okay, are we ready to go? So, what I wanted to do today was to talk about the investigative profiles. What James, Alice and Harry have been doing in the past couple of weeks is looking at what five likely companies we would be looking at. So far in this podcast series, we've heard a lot about the machinations of the campaign. But today, we're shining the spotlight on problem makers, pulling back the curtain, looking under the bonnet to see exactly what they are doing to keep themselves in business. So James, do you want to take up at that point? Quite happy to. Um, Let me just see if that works. Yep. So we kind of, we were trying to What we decided to do was to look at five key companies which both Gates, uh, the Wellcome Foundation, are invested in. If I run through what we've got, four out of the five definitely have investment from both, which given that we only had a very short list of Wellcome companies, I was pretty pleased with. So the key thing we thought was Shell, which is just done... You know, last week, this big takeover deal, which increases their reserves by about 25%. And that gives you the big hook into how what you're buying when you buy these companies is fossil fuels and how actually the market itself isn't correcting it. I feel there's quite a lot of pressure on this because this is us trying to show some of the things that are perhaps wrong with how these companies are going about things. This is essentially, you know, this campaign is keeping it in the ground. This is the people who are taking it out. This is the diggers. And so if we can't sort of be convincing about why parts of what they're doing are problematic, we're missing a real core of what we're trying to do. Um, Target 2, sorry, I'll try and speed this up. Got Peabody, which is essentially an onshore US story around kind of the lengths that they'll keep to to make sure they can keep doing what they want. They're quite litigious against trying to prevent states bringing in any kind of clean air laws, anything along those lines. They're an interesting sign of the desperation of sort of some of the coal sector right now. Um, Schlumberger. They're an oil services company rather than a place that owns a load of reserves, but it means they're everywhere. You name it, they explore, they drill... They provide the main services, and they've got quite a few marks against them. As far as five are concerned, does anyone wish to resile from those or um, introduce anything different? So John Mullin is uh, it's been great working with him. He's kind of really old school. You know, we're all quite uh, sort of delicate and tangential at the Guardian, so he's proper newsman. He was editor of the Independent on Sunday, so he's hugely experienced. How does Rosneft, etc., and Azerbaijan and so on fit into that? Well, I think the overall narrative of the piece is that, you know, what are, what are the obstacles to climate change? Well, I think our role as investigative journalists is to hold power to account and tell people the things that other people whether, who have power don't want them to know. Felicity Lawrence is just one of the most long-standing investigative journalists at The Guardian. If you start tackling them... 
She's just a really sort of calm presence. James Ball is a great investigative journalist, very young but full of energy. Which usually means I get thrown at things like this, um, straight off HSBC and before that Snowden. So kind of hoping for, you know, a month in the sun or something after this. He's funny. Having travelled environmentally friendly, of course. And he's absolutely bursting with quite cross energy, which is very useful in investigations. Um, BP have all sorts of sort of potential angles around the UK and their political connections, etc. And you could go deep water, but I do think they're quite a good candidate for looking at sort of greenwash and the different activities of essentially trying to carry on engaging in getting whatever you can out while trying to look more approachable and friendly doing it. Can I ask a couple of things about logistics then? In terms of how you guys have worked in the past or how you do these things, how best can I help you guys? What, you know? I think the main the main immediate thing over the next sort of five days or so will be kicking the tyres and just looking for what feels weak, what feels strong. Because it's easy to try and zone and go, this is fine, this is fine, this is fine. Hello, that's that. Time's ticking. Just six weeks for five full investigations. Hi, it's Harry. Hi, how, how are you doing? Perhaps we can just talk about Canada quickly. Um, I've got a meeting with my editor um, at four, and I, I just would, I'd quite like to feed this into the mix because we are sort of thinking about the areas that we want to cover, and uh, you know, I'd like to give this a little bit of attention. So Harry Davies is our researcher on the special projects team. All right, fine. I'm sorry. I was trying a number and... Looks about 15. I don't know if it was my phone or your phone. Wasn't but just has this incredible sort of ability to... Sorry, a, a terrorism law. Absorb every fact about the energy industry, the companies, the financials. So, what, so what was her name? Sorry. In a slightly terrifying way. Yeah. And then sort of will just very yes. patiently wait for you to be wrong about things and then just quietly... Uh, tell you the, the numbers that you really meant to say. Fragmenting forestry. Right. Brilliant. All right, thanks for your help. I'll, I'll be in touch. Cheers. Bye. So that was a very... Um, uh, um, that, that, was a, that was a sort of a, a, a brief chat, really, with um, Suzanne of the UK Tar Sands Network. Um, we, I knew that she. I, I know that she has a lot of a lot to say on this on this particular um, area, and I, I want to hear from her and in more detail. I just I needed a kind of a rough, um, a, a sort of summary which I can feed into our meeting. Um. This is Felicity Lawrence from the Guardian. Um, Kurt, I'm working on the climate change project, and I've been looking with a couple of colleagues specifically at BP huge player globally but with this very special relationship with Britain and the British government and, and is that documented anywhere? And we've been doing lots of FOIs and we've got some quite interesting material on that so we're sort of following that Do you, do you know which global PR companies are working for them? What's emerged as a sort of particular area of okay, so interest and probably one of the obstacles to changing government outlook is sort of strategic alliance that the British government and the Foreign Office have got with BP and they see that as crucial to Britain's energy security and its geopolitical interests. 
Oh, gosh, that sounds really key, yeah. So, sorry, what was it called again? The Global Climate Science Communications Plan. Four weeks to go. So, where is the bloody thing? The plan is to publish one splash a day for a full week. Here we are, Wilson Distribution. Okay, so, yeah. Perhaps with more broadly, I mean, it would be yeah. good to talk so specific, so, so, specifically. Sorry, no, I'm, I am aware of that. Pressure is on. I think different investigators have different approaches. I've had brilliant colleagues who are tremendous at kind of having okay. real sort of almost punch-ups with uh, people they're investigating on the phone and extracting a sort of yes. bit of information in the heat of the moment from the other side. That is, is so much not my personality. I quite like to be polite. Yes. You start with sort of the obvious stuff. You look for court documents, you look at the annual filings, you talk to experts about the company. Here we are, Wilson Distribution. I think when you're investigating, you have to be really dogged. Uh, although people think it's quite glamorous, an awful lot of it is just really boring, hard work. Thank you. Is this second quarter? This might be second you know, I always sort of tell people it's just because we have to plough through hundreds of pages of reports and Excel sheets and all of this kind of stuff, we shouldn't make the poor people reading this stuff suffer that as well. Uh, 35 tabs, yeah. This computer's going to crash. If you spend too long investigating something, as we often do, you sort of lose all scale of proportion of it, and to you it's the most fascinating subject in the world, and you forget that everyone else is probably, you know, more worried about Bruce Jenner or something. But it's really important for your sources that they're not identified. If they are identified, they can lose their job. So your instinct always is to be quite quiet about what you're doing and to protect sources and... For that reason, it's just, it's not something you discuss publicly. So we initially saw the name and thought it was uh, Schlumberger. We'd heard people pronounce it properly, which is Schlumberger, but we thought that was almost a joke on its French origins. Uh, and of course, it turns out it isn't. It's just how you pronounce it. It's Schlumberger. So Schlumberger was helping... And oil companies in Iran extract, you know, providing equipment, expertise, etc., which you cannot do if you're a U.S. company. And even if you're an international company like Schlumberger, your U.S. employees can't help because there are sanctions rules from the U.S. saying that you can't deal with Iran because of the disagreements with the regime. This process, there's something that's, that, 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 that keeps you nervous about this process all the time, um, uh, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a, uh, have, you know, haven't been doing this for years, and um, I'm 23 uh, and 24 in next week. Um, so, yeah, no, I haven't been doing this for years. So yes, yeah, I do. There's, there is always a, you know, am I doing this right? What, what, do I, what else do I need to do? The, 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 I'm, it's, it's not a relaxing job. You don't really turn off at sort of five o'clock, six o'clock, and go home. I mean, quite often there's, these stories live with you. <laughs> um. Yeah, I have quite. I have quite a lot of sleepless nights. I think. I think actually they were mostly, mostly in the first month when, when I was worried we wouldn't come up with anything um, substantial. And actually, as you talk to the reporters and you work out what the focus is of things, um, I felt much happier getting to grips with the personalities and how things are done. Probably as the investigations have begun to focus more. I felt felt much happier and much more confident that um, you know we were going to be okay. 
Okay, so I wanted to call this meeting just to see uh, three weeks to go to convince myself that um, we're all surviving. So let's discuss and let's make it fairly snappy. BP and Schlumberger. Kellis, young man, Schlumberger, as we know now, it's called. Yeah, so quite quite a few sort of bits of chasing on this. Um, last time we met. Terry very helpfully sort of pointed out the technology angle of these guys and raised the idea that they have a lot of advanced techniques and sort of sophistication that means stuff can only happen with them. You know, they're the ones pioneering certain types of deep drilling techniques, Arctic drilling, and a lot in fracking and refracturing. And they actually have by far the largest patent portfolio of anyone in the oil and gas sector. They really trade off their technology and they're actually sort of getting more and more in the game as if they were an oil player. They're paying some companies more or less to come and refracture fracking sites that they're done with because they're so confident they can get more out. Sort of, we've also been digging deeper into the sanctions busting stuff. As a non-US company, they are entitled to trade with Iran because they're not covered by US sanctions as long as they don't involve the US office in it. And essentially they were for years Um, And they were being quite sort of surreptitious about it often. They clearly knew what they were doing was breaking sanctions, or some of the staff doing it did. So there's nice quotes where they refer to, uh, they give them sort of little euphemisms. So southern southern Egypt, in quotes, meant Sudan. Northern Gulf, in quotes, and was around. That was to get round. That was that folk, was folk so that they Sudan or around. Yeah. So the people getting it knew, and so at one point, there's this wonderful little email where they sort of send a thing talking about uh, here's they're, they're trying to get a sign off for some capex um, in Iran, and the com- the customer in Iran is the National Iranian Oil Company. Incidentally, it's not um, particularly uh, surreptitious. They say uh, here's what we're after for. Um, southern egypt i brackets haven't attached the usual documents as they mentioned the country name and i know you're in the u.s um, and is, they, is that avoidance as, a part, as opposed to evasion if you know what i mean is that bending the rules or breaking the it's, rules it's criminal they've admitted criminal culpability for it um felicity and simon do you want to kick off with where you think we are in bp in broad terms we've got lots of good stuff from fois's on what the Foreign Office describe as their strategic alliance with BP. When you're kind of investigating a company like this, you're dependent on various things. One is the documents that you can get out. Some have been released, but they're tremendously redacted. I did Greek at university, and we spent an awful lot of time reading fragments of ancient poems where bits of papyrus had been lost and trying to work out what was in the missing bit, and you kind of felt the real point was what was missing. Uh, So there's been a slight sense of that with this. Um, So the bits that are missing in the documents and are blacked out will be, you know, how significant significant Russian gas and oil are to keeping the lights on in Britain. But it, it is quite weird having the sense of all these extraordinary meetings taking place in Moscow, Washington. So there's lots of, sort of evidence that it's happening, but, there's, but I mean, how likely or feasible do you think it is that we get in the inside of that in terms of identifying someone who's... I think it's going to be very... I haven't got there. But I I do think you can see a shift, which you see across government departments, just not not just with the fossil fuel sector. There are things going on which have actually been slightly under the radar in terms of the extent to which 
government policy is now driven by business interests. It always was a little bit, or quite a lot even. The shift in emphasis has been so dramatically pro-business as though there were no separation between business and national interests. That's the shock to me, and I think people will be quite surprised by it. We, we're just sort of starting to come down to it now where you've got to look at how many days you've got left and sort of what were the things you wanted and that are really tantalising but you're not going to get. So there's a really good tip and we thought it was good information to do with one of the companies and it might well be true but I just don't think we can confirm it. So today and probably tomorrow are just about trying to chase down those last things that we think are true but we haven't landed so I'm, I'm trying to be optimistic about it some of it's going well one week to go uh, some of it's a bit brick wall I'm planning on coming in on bank holiday and sort of scaring myself when you're doing an investigation there's a good trick you can do which is to try and write what you've got it's nothing to do with having the final version you haven't talked to all the people but sort of lets you know what you can write and what you can't and you suddenly realise where all the holes in your work are and so I'm hoping to do that on the long weekend when I've still got some time to fill them rather than sort of realising what I thought was going to be a really good piece doesn't have enough in it. We've actually you know really only had from me arriving to producing six weeks to come up with bespoke investigations. My fear at the beginning was if I'm honest that was a pretty tough gig and was a pretty demanding timetable to adhere to. And we have adhered to it and I think we have come up with some pretty good stuff. And I think actually publishing those things will engender you know, more material, more investigative material um, um, down the line. Time's up. I've finally hit the point on the Schlumberger story where I have a draft. Uh, I gave them all a deadline of Monday the 11th for me to see copy. Uh, One or two didn't quite manage that. So I filed to John Mullen about 2,000 words of copy last night and I'm sort of waiting on bated breath to to get his feedback and see if he thinks it's any good. Um, So, you know, no pressure there. There's obviously a sense of worry when you first see the copy I know what the copy's going to say before I get it so I know if we've got something or not but you know there is, there is also uh, uh, an issue about how far away the copy might be from you know being the finished article What we found in the end really was Schlumberger was this sort of big questionable company that really no one had heard of it's bigger than Halliburton it's there in Iraq, it's in Turkmenistan it's all over the place And it's just got this record-breaking criminal fine in the US for sanctions busting in Iran and in Sudan. It's now stopped and paid about 150 million in fines. US staff were using code words and just deliberately breaking these kind of laws. And it's sort of just emblematic. It's the nadir of a company that sort of deals with anyone to get the oil out. It's kind of the opposite of keep it in the ground. I think what emerges from the investigation into BP is an insight into how the world works and the nexus of power. I think it's the sort of depth of contact, the 
the seniority of the people that the company is able to sort of be in touch with, the extent to which British government departments see it as their job to promote its interests. When I spoke to Alan at the beginning of this, I think Alan was keen that we come up with material that would make Gates and Wellcome think again about whether they were invested in the right sort of companies. I don't know yet if we've achieved that, but I think what we've achieved is some pretty good revelatory pieces, which certainly give me pause for thought, and I'm sure uh, lots of other people pause for thought about how these companies conduct themselves. You know, and I think in that sense we've formed a very valuable exercise and one that's not really been done in climate change before. I think this series was about showing the companies that are, do, are taking it out of the ground and how they operate, why they operate and what their models are. It sort of shows what divestment campaigners are up against, the tactics that they use, the countries that they'll deal with and how the extraction industry works and I think we sort of shed a bit of light on you know often a little bit of a murky world. I think when you look at these sort of big companies in clusters it gives you a sense of the uh, the scale of the mountain to climb if we're going to tackle climate change because the uh, money interests and power are just so enormous and so entrenched in government. I think it also reminds people of you know, how vital the resources these companies have provided have been because we're all profligate users of energy, but also what extraordinary, often murky worlds they operate in and that things that might have been quite glamorous adventure a century ago are more troubling now. Um, and so you see with people like uh, Schlumberger that they've actually pleaded guilty to sanctions violations and to using quite deliberate deception to try and get away with that. You've got BP uh, dealing with some characters in Russia with murky pasts and uh, some people who I would really not be terribly happy to have to spend my time with. Uh, so I think it's a, it's a reminder for me of all all the other problems that come with us being so dependent on fossil fuels. These are both extraordinarily innovative uh, companies, often using brilliant feats of engineering, but their, their activities are fraught with danger in lots of different ways, both politically and physically. This has been the biggest story in the world. And next week, it's our final podcast. Along the series, we've followed the team as they've tried to find a new narrative for climate change. You've heard them scramble, flail, as well as their moments of pride. But where has all this got them? Have they, as the editor wanted, made people sit up and pay attention to the biggest story in the world? Have they found a new way to tell the tale? Next week, we'll decide. The Biggest Story in the World is narrated by me, Alex Kratoski. It's produced by Alana Chance, Lindsay Poulton, Matt Hill, Nabila Shabir, Harriet Grant, and Lucy Greenwell. Sound design is by Chris Wood. Sovereign. Head of audio is Jason Phipps. And the executive producer is Francesca Panetta. Thank you.